Hi, I'm Ollie Neal, and you're listening to the Equip Project podcast. The Equip Project is designed to help young people engage with the Christian faith in a thoughtful and reasonable way. Our goal is to help provide clarity and understanding as we seek to tackle many of the cultural and intellectual challenges to Christianity. I'm back with Jim Crooks. How are you, Jim? Hello, Ollie. I'm doing very well, thank you. Jim, our conversation in the next two episodes is going to focus on the search for identity. We'll be examining the questions, who am I and how should I understand myself? Why do you think the question of identity is so important for people today? Well, I'm going to turn the tables on you, Ollie, because this topic of identity is your generation's number one issue. 20 years ago, young adults kept asking me to talk to them about relationships. (laughs) We're going to get to that, Jim, because a few days ago I put out um, a request on Instagram asking for suggestions for potential podcasts. And one of the most common responses we got back was, in fact, on relationships. Oh, joy. (laughs) Um, But notwithstanding what you said, these days, mostly what young adults ask me to talk about is this thing called identity. So I'm going to turn the tables for a minute and ask you, why is this so important to people of your age? Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It is a really big deal amongst my generation. And I think one of the main reasons for that is because of the pressure our society puts on young people to shape their own lives. Uh, It's a pressure to become whoever uh, you want to be. And that sounds like a good thing. In theory, it sounds like a liberating thing, you know, to be told by society that you're free to, to define your sexuality, your gender, your career path, your fashion, your food choices. You know, that sounds liberating. But actually, I think the pressure on young people to, in effect, write their own story, and to make that story a good one is enormous. And combined with that is the fact that our story is, is told via social media. Our Instagram almost becomes a personal brand, like a portfolio to the world looking on. And we compare our story quite literally in the case of Instagram to the stories of others. You know, we, we compare our relationships, maybe our travel, our food, family, success, all these things. And very rarely do we see uh, anything negative on these social media channels. I actually think when you reach your mid-twenties, like me, Jim, LinkedIn is a particularly powerful way to share your brand, if you like, because you see your friends' careers beginning to take off and everyone else seems so successful. And and you look at yourself and you think, am I as good as them? Uh, What am I doing with my life? Uh, Why does my life look so good on on Instagram, but not feel as good in my head? Uh, And I think actually that disconnect between the online space, the social media space and reality causes stress and anxiety and there's a sense in which we can't live up to our own brand let alone to the stories that other people seem to be writing for themselves we want to be someone we want to have significance we want to find happiness and peace and often we feel like it's in touching distance given the the near perfect people we see on our on our social media channels and the lifestyles that we see but we can never quite get hold of it and that's why I think this, this topic is such a big deal. It's such an important one, Jim, because as young people, we're given so much information. We have so much choice. We have so much freedom that often we never really figure out who we are or what we're here for. And ultimately, we end up being crushed by the weight of having to write our own story. I think that's a powerful description of the pressure young adults and teenagers are under today. The first thing that strikes me, Ollie, about all that you've said is the sheer scope of the problem space. You've talked about everything from creating a personal brand through to how we try to find significance. 
I mean, this subject is complicated and it's all tangled up. Yeah, I, I think it really is. And, and maybe we should start um, with identity as a thing we can observe before we break it down into its elements. So let's start with psychology, if you like. How would you describe someone with a healthy sense of identity? Okay, um, I'll try and paint a, a rough picture of that. Someone with a healthy uh, self-understanding is going to be at peace with himself or herself. They'll also be at peace with other people in their lives. I would characterize health in this aspect of life as a certain self-forgetfulness, a lack of self-absorption and self-consciousness. They seem to be comfortable in their own skin. Uh, People like this who have good identity somehow are able to locate themselves in wider life and feel at home in it. Now, if I was to put that in biblical language, I would talk about a well-ordered soul. The Hebrew word shalom contains this idea of wholeness and, and health. So somebody with a healthy sense of identity has a wholesome soul. They're personhood is integrated. It's not chaotic. It's not fragmented. They tend to live within a network of healthy relationships and their lives have a quiet sense of purpose. And what does the opposite look like? How might someone with a weak sense of identity come across to you? They will be painfully concerned with themselves. They'll spend a lot of time inside their own heads. People who struggle with identity feel fragile. Some of them even feel unreal. And inside, they struggle with internal contradictions, if you like. So instead of a unified, coherent soul, uh, you get the sense that you're dealing with a collection of actors playing roles to the audience of others' expectations. So we've been talking so far about the struggles people have with identity. But how do we start to think logically about it? You used the phrase, Jim, problem space a minute ago. Is there some sort of framework which allows us to structure the conversation about identity? I keep all my sermon notes on my computer at home uh, in one big directory. And and when I order the list alphabetically, uh, there is this very large block of talks, titles, all starting with the word identity. And most of them ignored the question you have just asked, if I'm being honest. I have tended to start with the, the practical problems people face with identity and then work downwards towards the theological foundations of the problem. But I'm no longer convinced that that's the right approach. So in this conversation, uh, I'd like us to try something a bit different. It seems to me that before we can answer the question, who am I, we need to ask the more basic question, what am I? In other words, before I start considering the unique qualities that make up my self-understanding, I need to think deeply about what a human being is. So I was uh, driving back home from from Dublin last night, uh, and I invented a metaphor uh, which might help us structure this conversation. My metaphor is about cake. We love cake on this podcast. I'm, I'm excited to hear about this. I actually was thinking, Jim, I don't know what you feel about this, but we should do a weekly cake review. I think that would be really, really good use of our time. <laughs> <laughs> it makes us sound like test match special. <laughs> we could maybe, yeah, actually, exactly. We could maybe get our listeners to send cakes in. That would just be incredible. <laughs> Well, it is a recurring motif, although not exactly a Beethoven leitmotif, but it does keep cropping up. Now, my sister Helen happens to be an excellent cook, and uh, uh, so I phoned her from the car last night and I asked her to explain how a cake is made. Uh, and it turns out that there are two types of ingredients. Okay, so there are generic ingredients that every cake has, and then there are specific ingredients that only certain cakes have. Did you, did you know this? To be honest, my cake knowledge is disappointingly limited, but... Uh, I'll work on it. Uh, And I actually, I did promise in one of the earlier episodes to make a cake, so that is still on the agenda. That is a delightful prospect. (laughs) But (laughs) anyway, all traditional cakes 
basically contain eggs, uh, some fat like butter, sugar and flour. Those are the generic ingredients. All cakes have them. But then, I don't know, Christmas cakes have sultanas and cherries in them and simnel cakes have marzipan or something like that. Coffee cakes of some form of coffee. So let's call those the specific ingredients. And then once you've mixed them all together in a big bowl, you then need to cook them. And it is the cooking process which transforms the bowl of goo into a splendid cake. So that is going to be my metaphor. I think I really like that metaphor, Jim. I don't entirely understand where it's going, but I like the sound of it. How, how does that relate to identity? Well, my identity is a bit like the cake. There are some generic ingredients that every human being has, and then there are some specific ingredients that are unique to me. But the thing called my identity is more than a mixture of ingredients. It's formed in the oven we call real life. So it's actually quite useful to think about identity from those three perspectives. The generic elements of identity that every human being has, the specific elements that only I have, and the formation process that develops my sense of identity. We're going to have to think carefully about how people can have such divergent views of themselves, which is where your cake analogy comes in, I guess. Yes. The big difference between the analogy and identity itself is that nobody really argues over the generic ingredients of a cake. Traditional cakes, as I say, contain all the same thing, eggs, sugar, fat, and flour. But when it comes to human beings, there is sharp disagreement over what elements of identity are shared by all of us. At the most basic level, I think the question, what am I? I think it breaks down into three smaller questions. Do I have purpose? How free am I? And what am I worth? So what you're suggesting is three generic ingredients, if you like. The first is purpose, the second is freedom, and the third is value. Why is there an argument over those concepts? Well, the Christian worldview has a set of answers to the questions I, I listed out just now. But its answers are completely different from the answers given by prevailing culture. So we need to examine those answers before we can arrive at our destination, which is a true view of identity. Now, if I understand your approach here, you're going to start at the most basic level and work upwards. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the three essential ingredients of human identity that we all share. And then in the next episode, we're going to think about those things that make us unique. But I'm conscious that there may be someone listening to this podcast and they're worried about their identity. And I guess the concern is that they get lost in some abstract discussion. How will we make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah, well, I understand that concern very well. So I would ask anyone troubled by their identity to exercise a little bit of trust here. Because surely it makes sense to ask the question, what am I, before we ask, who am I? The crisis in our culture over identity has arisen because we no longer agree on what a human being actually is. So I'm, I'm sorry if this doesn't sound terribly pastoral, but we're searching for understanding here, and that requires us to think. Yeah, that makes sense to me, Jim. So you listed out three generic ingredients, uh, three generic elements of being human, purpose, freedom, and value. Let's start with the concept of purpose. How does that affect my sense of identity? We're going to start our search for identity by asking a basic question. Am I a creature? In other words, have I been intentionally created by a creator? Our culture answers no to that question. And therefore, as day follows night, it follows that my life can have no objective purpose. Charles Darwin's theory of evolution is much more than a scientific theory. There's a French historian whose name I can't even begin to pronounce. But he once said, the denial of purpose is Darwin's distinctive contention. So by that, you mean that if we've just evolved by chance and natural selection, then there's no intentionality behind our existence. 
for example, I am I am just the byproduct of mindless forces, just a leaf on the evolutionary tree, if you like. Exactly. And that is a pretty bitter pill to swallow. Contrast that with the simple idea of being a creature with God as creator. Think of the psychological health of knowing that I was intentionally created. If Christianity is true, then each of us is here for a reason. The first answer to the question, who am I, is really a simple statement. I am a creature. I have been intentionally created by a creator. And that idea has enormous power to integrate and give value to all the complex elements that make up my self-understanding. Because my maker made me for a purpose, then the many other parts of my life, my loves, my, my work, my interests, my hurts, they belong together and have significance. The second generic ingredient you mentioned was freedom. How do my views of freedom impact upon my identity? When I was listening to your description of your generation's need to create their own identity, I, I felt another analogy coming on. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I subscribe to a YouTube channel that focuses on the latest trends in engineering. And the new big thing in manufacturing is 3D printing. So a few nights ago, I watched the world's uh, largest 3D printer. I think it was built by the University of Maine. But this thing created a 25-foot-long boat, and it did it in just 72 hours. 3D printing is going to change the world. But for our purposes, it gives us a good illustration of the debate over human freedom. How free am I? Am I free to be whatever I want to be? Can I make myself into anything I want? Or... Am I a specific type of being with a, a design plan? So, let's put it this way. Am I like that flexible, gooey polymer that feeds a 3D printer? Or am I a specific pre-built artifact, like a, a, a violin? Now, our culture says that we are like the gooey polymer. All you need is your imagination to uh, visualize what you want to be. And then, boom, you hit the button and you create yourself. And the Bible, of course, takes the opposite view. It says you're more like a Stradivarius violin made by a divine craftsman. Your freedom is to be able to compose and play unique music. But you'll always be a violin. That's non-negotiable. So the radical freedom of the gooey polymer, uh, <laughs> to use slightly more technical language, is the thing called autonomy. Uh, it's the freedom to create yourself. The freedom to be whatever you want to be. No one, not even God, can thwart your right to create your own self. But the Bible's view of freedom is, called, is this thing called creaturely freedom. The Bible insists that freedom is about maximizing human flourishing. It's not about minimizing constraints. So creaturely freedom is maximized when the creature follows its design plan. Okay, so I get the analogy, but I'm interested to dig a little deeper around this idea of a design plan. Why does the Bible give us a design plan? Okay, if Christianity is true, then... You, Ollie, are a magnificent, physical, rational, moral, spiritual creature of gender made in the image of God. You have a soul that will last forever. You are an integrated person made up of body, soul, and spirit. So the best way to live is to live a life that follows the design plan for a creature like that, a creature made in God's image. At first sight, I can see that the 3D printer view of identity seems potentially more interesting, maybe more fun. Yeah, but that's not the question. The question is not whether the idea is fun or attractive. The question is, is it true? Does it correspond to reality? And when we look at the test results, as it were, it does look as if human beings are a specific type of being. Because when people try to remold themselves into something completely different, they end up destroying themselves. 
So take my washing machine as an analogy. It's a very specific type of thing. But suppose I got bored with washing clothes one day and decided it wanted to become uh, a concrete mixer. Well, I could try. I might cooperate in the experiment by shoveling some sand and cement into the drum. And who knows, on the first try, it might even make some concrete. I'd love you to try that sometime. (laughs) That would be incredible. (laughs) Well, we both know that within two cycles that my washing machine would have destroyed itself. You can't argue with reality. If human beings only have creaturely freedom, and then they decide to tear up their design plan and live as autonomous beings, then they will destroy themselves. That is the Apostle Paul's argument in Romans 1, and the proof of his argument can be seen in every newspaper that we read today. So in our search for identity, we've been forced to answer two questions so far. The first is, am I a creature? That is, have I been intentionally created for a purpose or not? Then we have to ask, do I have a design plan? Do I just have this creaturely freedom you talk of? Or can I pursue complete autonomy? In other words, can I create myself or not? Your third generic ingredient was value. And you asked the question, what am I worth? How does that impact my sense of identity? I think this question lies behind most of the fears young people have around identity. It's the question of self-worth. You've been raised in a culture which has told you that you're nothing but atoms. You're a blob of biological slime floating down the river of time. You're just a byproduct of mindless evolutionary forces. And when you die, you'll disappear into oblivion. Your death will just be a rearrangement of molecules. So in order to feel that you're worth something, you need to be valued by other people. Now, contrast that desperate talk with the Bible's view of your value. If the Bible is speaking truth, God made you, he loves you, and that gives you worth. Even if the world regards you as worthless, God finds you valuable. Now, if that's true, then when we look at ourselves in the mirror with all our follies and our weaknesses, we know that we're seeing a unique, eternal masterpiece. Psalm 139 puts it beautifully, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Made by the greatest craftsman in the universe. So whether we like what we see or not, that gives us real worth, body and soul. If every least scrawl of a Picasso has tremendous value because Picasso made it, so we too, as God's creations, each have unimaginable intrinsic worth. I can see how that transforms your sense of of worth. But why do you think this this idea of self-worth is such a crucial aspect of identity? Well, think about your description of the identity problem that started this conversation off. All that stuff about envying the Instagram lives of other people or comparing yourself with your peers uh, on LinkedIn. Now, I, I could be wrong with this, but it seems to me that an awful number of your generation regard their lives like a piece of performance art. They need the applause of other people to fuel their sense of self-worth. So life becomes a performance designed to receive applause. Deep down, if I don't believe that I have any intrinsic value, then I'll feel worthless unless my self-worth gets fueled by the admiration of strangers. Now, some people perform better than others at the Instagram game. So think of a young student looking enviously at a a more attractive girl's profile, and she sees this girl has over a 1,000 followers. She decides that she is worth less than the girl with better facial symmetry. Something really profound has gone wrong here with the way we measure our self-worth. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Jim. You've argued that the foundational ingredients for anyone's sense of identity are these three things, objective purpose, creaturely freedom, and intrinsic worth. 
I'm still thinking that a person listening to this podcast who's confused about their identity and maybe struggling a little bit, how does our conversation so far give them any practical help? In my experience, a lot of young adults have unconsciously imbibed the 3D printer model of identity. They think, in other words, it's up to them to reach down inside themselves to make the inward turn in order to come up with an interesting identity that they then fashion themselves into. I mean, no wonder so many of your generation are tortured with chronic anxiety. How stressful and lonely that view of identity is. Alone in a universe, controlled by forces too dumb even to know you exist, you are solely responsible for creating yourself. Autonomy, it seems to me, is the freedom to be anxious and alone. But now think of the relief, the security of knowing that your life has an objective purpose. Imagine knowing that you have a design plan which will maximise your capacity to flourish and make the most of your life. Then imagine knowing that you were made by God, that you are loved by him, and that he regards you as more precious than all the galaxies in the universe. If Christianity is true, then you are being endowed with objective purpose, creaturely freedom, and intrinsic worth. So you can know what you are. And that is a great foundation in our search for identity. That knowledge can bestow meaning upon your life, so that every part of it, even its hurts and pain, will make sense. If I remember your fantastic cake analogy correctly, Jim, you talked about the difference between generic ingredients like eggs and flour, and then the specific ingredients found in a Christmas cake or a chocolate cake. Is that right? That's right. In the next episode, then, we're going to think about those unique elements of identity that make up our self-understanding. So I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation next time. Very good. Thank you for listening to episode five of the Equip Project podcast. It's been great to have your company. We hope you can join us again for episode six. If you would like to suggest a topic or question we can talk about together, please email theequipproject at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, do share it with your friends and family or post a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you.